December in the year of Lord 2023. It is because of the structure of our Christmas season this time. It is, um, this is um, our Christmas Eve special coming in on Saturday. I want to thank everybody for sticking around for the second hour, bringing in Dr. Uh, Dr. Larry Swikert. So, Doctor, we've talked about this with Raheem and, and Ben uh, and others over the last couple of days, and then Dr. Carol Swain in the first hour. In playing these... Uh, um, carols from the 18th and 19th century. I don't think we're playing any from the 17th yet, but there's a certain um, um, almost swagger. There's a certain confidence. The complexity of the music, but the way it's presented, the the the, the voices. It just seems like it is um, it is from a, a time and place that almost is disconnected from our culture and civilization today. You're the co-author of The Patriot's History of the United States, which is still one of the most powerful books recently in the last 20 or 30 years written about American history. Is uh, Talk to me about that. What, what is it about this music of the old carols that you don't hear much anymore? You very rarely hear it on, uh, on radio unless you listen to a specialty station. You don't hear it in the, certainly don't hear it in the churches except on rare occasions. Your, your, your thoughts? Well, uh, Merry Christmas, Steve. Yeah, you're, you're right. Um, one of the reasons you don't hear it a lot is because these people were almost all Christians, and they were singing from a certainty of where they were going in the afterlife. They were singing from a certainty of victory as promised in the Bible. And so many modern people, even when they sing these kind of older songs, uh, they they lack that certainty because, well, let's face it, they're not believers. They're, they're having trouble with this stuff. So uh, it was a different era. It was a different age. It was a time when, <clears throat> let's face it, all Western uh, countries believed that they were to lead the world to a new era of hope and enlightenment and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, it was different then. Let me ask you that. When you say hope and enlightenment, the Western nations, that'd be Europe and ourselves. When we find ourselves today, it seems like besieged on every side, particularly Christians. But you look in Europe where you're seeing the collapse of classical society, right? I mean, they're on the edge, it seems like, of civil war because of what they've allowed for their, the invasion. They call it migration, but the invasion of uh, Europe over the last 10 years or so. Been bad for 30 or 40 years, but I mean really accelerated over the last 10, and now you have France and, and England, um, they're, they're beside themselves. You're seeing the same thing starting to happen here in the United States, in our inner cities, because of the invasion. What was it about then that gave them hope that they were the, the future? It was about enlightenment and deeply imbued with uh, Christian belief. Cut to today when you have more material wealth and science and technology uh, remember, a lot of this music was done right around the time of the steam engine. The steam engine, uh, it changed uh, mankind's history like no other invention, no other technology in the world. So what was it about then that had them so um, 
you know, a, a positive and energetic and urgent in in their in their mission as a civilization or society. And you can hear see in the music and the voices. But here today, it seems like we're almost worn out. Well, there were uh, kind of two goals for those Europeans and Americans. One was a material goal to improve the material world. When you get John D. Rockefeller, he, he would say. I want to uh, give the common man kerosene. He must have it good, and he must have it cheap. And then he would he would make record profits, and then he'd turn around and give a million dollars a year to his Baptist church. In Europe, the same thing. You see this in the building of uh, cathedrals. And I wanted to kind of talk to you about this a little bit with regards to architecture. I like chrome and glass as much as the next guy. I do like modern architecture, but... I don't like only modern architecture. And and what's interesting in our society today is you see none of the inspiring and inspirational and uplifting buildings like La Sagrada Familia or uh, Westminster Abbey or Notre Dame or any anything like that. I mean, even some of Frank Lloyd Wright's stuff, you can't match that today. And a lot of that comes because we have a much different view of where humanity is heading, and it, it's overwhelmingly a sec- secular view that says we're not going anywhere, and if we are, it's not it's not any place good. So why would you create art? Why would you create uh, buildings? Why would you create great music that would be a testament to um, man's enduring nature with God, uh, not apart from God, but with God? Talk about um, the difference between Europe and the United States, and particularly in your historical research and, and writing, writing uh, your seminal work. Um, you know, there are many of us, and, and now we're being said that you're Christian nationalists and you guys are the worst people on earth. You're, 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 um, you're domestic terrorists. Uh, you're a da- a violent extremist. But there's a big group of people in this country that think America is the new Jerusalem. And that America is a covenant nation. And, and our, from our founding, as you do such a great job laying out with the pilgrims and the Puritans in New England, a little different than the more entrepreneurial um, cavaliers down in the common, uh, down in Jamestown in my uh, beloved home state. But is America – was America founded in a big part of that as a new Jerusalem and, and, a, and as a covenant nation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean – God loves Israel because God chose Israel, but God loves America because America chose God. And from our earliest time all the way up through at least the Civil War, there was this notion that America was a special place um, chosen and protected by God. And then we couldn't fail for that reason that, um, you know, Lincoln said, uh, uh, we like to have God on our side, but we have to make sure that we're on God's side. And, and what the Europeans have lacked is uh, two of the pillars of American exceptionalism. One is a, a uh, uh, common law. Only England had that, and that is the notion that law bubbles from the bottom up because God puts the law in the heart of every man and woman. And we see that both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament where God says, I will write my law upon your heart. Um, the other pillar is a Christian, mostly Protestant religion. And again, that's not due to theological issues, but it's due to the church structure of the Congregationalists where decisions were made from the bottom up. So in America, you had this relationship to the common man, uh, we might call it a populist relationship, that simply didn't exist in anywhere in Europe. No country had those two factors. So what kind of music are you going to get out of people like this? What kind of architecture? What kind of art? You know, in Patriots history, we go into a long discussion about Norman Rockwell, who I believe is still the greatest living American artist, period. You say Jackson Pollock, you know, maybe Andy Warhol, whatever. Rockwell captured the essence of America, and it was this very same uplifting, (laughs) heroic essence that you refer to in this music of the hymns that you were playing. What, um, go back and give me that. What was the connection? I do want to make sure I understand this myself, the, of the common man. You're saying this was different here in the United States than different in Europe. What was that? 
because of common law, which only England had and none of the other European nations had, maybe Switzerland, um, and because of a Christian, mostly Protestant religious tradition that was congregational. So it was bottom-up governance. So at our very root, Americans are bottom-up. That's how the nation was founded. And most of these people were Christians and were believers, were religious Christians. They weren't just, you know, Sunday attenders. They were were believers. The most common book in any American household was the Bible. So, um, and of course, we've been through this before in your show that almost all of the founders were, were devout Christians, uh, the, the exception probably being Jefferson, but certainly not Franklin, who was a, a, a believer and he was not a deist. He may not have been a Christian. Why, 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 are they accused, why are they accused of being deist? And make the distinction for the audience. What's the difference between a deist sure. and a Christian? But a, why are they, you, is, they're accused all the time of being either free, Freemasons or being deist? Yeah. Uh, a deist is someone who believes that there is a God but he just doesn't get involved in human affairs. He's he, he's not uh, alive in this world. He just sits back and kind of watches. It's it's known as the clockmaker. He, he creates the great clock and sets it in motion. And practicing Christians, of course, believe that uh, God is alive in our hearts, uh, is involved in our daily lives, um, is involved in everything we do, gives us wisdom, direction, uh, inspiration, um, you know, the, the term walk with Jesus implies that, that there's a living person that you are uh, with and around all the time. And that's the big difference between a Christian and a deist. So a Christian would expect that God would be involved in the activities of the United States of America, as with any nation who chooses to follow him. Um, I want to take a we're going to take a break here and we're going to listen to some more music uh Dr. Larry Swikert uh, joins us, the co-author of The Patriot's History. Well, i got a minute before we get back to some music. I want to make sure people get to your website. You're constantly putting things up about history and connecting history to current events. Where, where do people go to get all of your stuff? Wildworldofhistory.com. Wildworldofhistory.com. There's tons of free stuff up, but I also have a subscription service where I put up constant new videos Um Reagan, the American president, we put up about 21 videos. Uh, The latest is Integrity, featuring Winston Churchill. I've got about seven up, and I add one every every couple of weeks. Um, If you're more interested in the political commentary, you can catch me at the wildworldofpolitics.com. And uh, I try to keep the two separate because homeschoolers may not be too interested in politics or vice versa. Very interested in the history. You do a great job. It's a, the Patriots' history is one of the seminal works for the for the homeschool movement. Okay, we're going to take you out with some of the, uh, this incredible music we put together. Our team, Avery and the team, I want to thank him. We're going to go ahead leave with some great music. Be back with Doctor Swiker in a moment.
As we head toward a presidential election in November, one thing you can be sure of, 2024 will be a tumultuous year like no other. How will your hard-earned savings fare during this year? You're already seeing the impacts of inflation at the pump, the grocery store. The dollar continues to lose buying power quicker than your wages can increase. How are you protecting your savings? Consider diversifying with gold from Birch Gold Group. For decades, gold has been the choice of investors and central banks to hedge against inflation. Now you can own it in a tax-sheltered IRA with the help of Birch Gold. Just text Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N, to 989898. Birch Gold will send you a free info kit on gold. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. And the best part? You don't have to pay a penny out of pocket. With an A-plus rating, with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of satisfied customers, you can trust Birch Gold. Text Bannon to 989898 to claim your free info kit. That's Bannon to 989898. And secure your savings now. Take action. Text Bannon at 989898. Action, action, action. Call Christ to marriage and come and let nothing you say. Welcome back. You're in the war room with our traditional Christmas Eve. Uh, on uh, We're going to replay, obviously, the Christmas Eve tomorrow, uh, technically the real Christmas Eve. And then on uh, Monday, Christmas Day, we will have the Combat History of Christmas, something we've done now, I think, for 10 years between Breitbart Radio and um, uh, the war room. And D- Patrick K. O'Donnell will join us, as he does uh, every year, to, uh, to go through that. So I want to thank Patrick K. O'Donnell. In advance for doing this, Satan's power. Larry, what's the line of demarcation in your research and study between the more traditional Christmases we're talking about and really where we get into more of the commercial aspects and then see even some of what we call the traditional Christmases of, of, of this commercial aspect? What, what, what's the line of demarcation and what were the old ways like when, when the from the, the, coming up shore at uh, – with the pilgrims to all the way through the revolution and to the civil war, what were the old traditions? I think probably you can mark sometime in the nineties when we began to um, desacralize the Christmas music. You probably remember this maybe back in the eighties. If you walked into a department store or a mall, uh, the music was 50, 50 Chris, what we call Christian music about Jesus and the, the birth and about half, it's winter, it's snow, it's fun presence. You don't hear very many places, unless it's a Christian business like Chick-fil-A or something like that. You don't hear Christian music being played today at Christmas. It's all about— Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. I thought when—hang on. I thought when you were talking about the 80s, you are talking about the 1880s or 1890s. Help me out here because I this is totally—I've missed this one totally. Yeah, you're no, saying now when 18, you're in malls, the, the which it used to be, it used to be in the old days, our department department stores used to hear, hear many of the songs that we're playing and other right. religious music. Uh, you're saying if you're going to malls today, you don't hear any of the religious songs. It's all kind of the commercial Christmas songs. Oh no, you probably not since the early '90s. Um, I distinctly remember the change and going, wow, they're not playing any actual <laughs> Christmas songs, and they're they're only playing things about winter or. Uh, yeah, it's Christmas, but you don't mention 
as they say, the reason for the season. Now, now going way back, of course, you had um, very traditional Christmases, and this is where the Courier and Ives cards come from, celebrating the sleigh ride with the the you know the uh, wreaths and all that sort of stuff, and the presents around the tree, and and you go up to say around the early 1900s. Oh, the, I, I just, the, 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 the Courier and Ives were from the 1880s, 1890s, the Gilded mm-hmm. Age. Is that where they that, those lithographs came from? Was, yeah. So that's that time frame? Yeah, and then you get, get up um, another kind of tradition that we used to celebrate was people would put up a model train around their, their tree. I remember as, as kids, we used to do this all the time. It was always a Lionel train. Where'd that come from? That came from um, uh, Lionel Cohen, who invented the the Lionel trains and was selling them and using them in department store windows at Christmas time. And all of a sudden, everybody wanted to have a train that, that ran around their their Christmas tree. Um, so you get these kinds of traditions, and then you get our our music that we're um, still so familiar with. The number one selling song of all time isn't the Beatles. It's White Christmas, uh, written by Irving Berlin, sung by Bing Crosby in a in a very popular movie, still popular today, called Holiday Inn, which has its own weird story because the guy who created the Holiday Inns had set up all of the architecture, all the drawings for everything, and he didn't have a name for it. And the movie Holiday Inn happened to be showing on TV, and so he says, that's what I'll call my hotel chain. Um, so White Christmas is just an amazing song it only has two verses no choruses it's one of the shortest lyrics ever written and it just became one of the biggest selling songs of all time especially when Bing Crosby would take it on the USO tours to Europe and uh, a relative of Bing's asked him one time what's the hardest thing you ever had to do and he said well in 1944 I had to sing in front of about 5,000 GIs in northern France, and they insisted I sing White Christmas. He said, I thought it was a little too depressing, but they insisted I sing it. And he said, I had to sing it with with dry eyes as all 5,000 of the GIs were crying. And then not too long after that, most of those GIs would be in battle, in the Battle of the Bulge, and many of them would die. So uh, the song White Christmas then was redone in the movie. White Christmas. So we have these traditions coming up all the way from the late 1800s through the early 1900s. But I think modern families have developed kind of more modern traditions. And of course, you could name your top three Christmas movies, but I'm sure many people today would say something like uh, The Christmas Story, about a kid who wants a uh, Red Ryder BB gun. Or uh, Chevy Chase's Christmas Vacation, which is, of course, one of our favorites. Or if you're really a little weird, you might say something like The Ref with Dennis Leary and Kevin Spacey about a dysfunctional family that gets taken so, hostage so, for Christmas. So, 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 number one, I pride myself. I've never seen any three of those. And I would literally throw anybody out of my house over Christmas that even mentioned they want to play it. But I, it's, I want to go back to, because I, I, I do know a lot of people watch the Chevy Chase thing. I want to go back, though, to White Christmas. If you remember, because the, the song broke in the movie Holiday Inn, but mm-hmm. when they decided after the war to make a movie White Christmas, they actually start at the Battle of the Bulge, where they, they, they in fact, the general that becomes central to the entire story of starting the uh, the ski lodge in Vermont that they've got to bail out. He's been relieved for cause. He's been fired. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye actually are trying to do a thing to perk people's spirits up, right. but they want to hear White Christmas, and they play White Christmas. It's one of the most moving uh, in any war movie. It's an incredibly moving uh, performance, and it it's actually kicks the movie off. Now, they play it later at the uh, at the Vermont, but it, they they actually I guess he takes that real life in northern France and he put it into the movie. But it's it, it's incredibly uh, incredibly powerful. Well, you know, we it's not like we've totally forgotten these traditions. For example, and I'm not hawking Michael W. Smith's album here, but he has an album called "It's a Wonderful." <laughs> and and in it, yeah. he's got five different choirs singing Sing Noel, Sing Hallelujah, which is one of the most astounding and amazing performances I've ever heard. It's just really 
uh, amazing stuff. So, um, but you know, you get you get these top five lists, and people say Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Yeah, okay. But you also get people like me insisting that Die Hard is a Christmas movie because any movie that <laughs> says Ho ho ho! I have a machine gun. Has to be an American Christmas movie. <laughs> have um, the other movies? Did they pick up the same time that you've seen this demarcation between at the malls? The the playing of of all of a sudden you had Christian music or music about uh, the traditional hymns, maybe done in a more modern way, and then all of a sudden, over a couple of years, that totally faded, and you had more of this. Uh, Winter Wonderland music. Is that when also these other movies started to come out? Yeah, very much so. You don't get a whole lot of religiosity in uh, Christmas Vacation, although there are some references. Uh, Probably the one that does the best in terms of maintaining some of that tradition is Home Alone. And and the um, final turning point of the movie occurs when uh, Kevin... Uh, who's been left home alone and is fighting off these burglars, goes into a church and meets an old man that he had previously been scared of, thought he was like kind of a boogeyman, and finds out he's a wonderful old man who's just missing his daughter. Okay, uh, we're going to leave with some uh, hymns. We're going to bring uh, we're going to bring uh, Larry Swigert back after a short commercial break.
Merry Christmas. Welcome back. You're in the war room. It's our uh, 23 December, Year of the Lord 2023. It's Saturday, but this is also our Christmas Eve show, which we'll replay tomorrow. Larry Swikert, um I want to get to a, a movie both of you and I want to talk about that, interestingly enough, is a classic today, but it was a horrible flop when it came out. Um, talk to me about this kind of the break of the commercialization of what we know. You mentioned Norman um, Wood Rockwell. Talk about the uh, 1920s when so many of the traditions of the big department stores became an active part of the more secular part of Christmas, but it is looked at as some of the great traditions we have. Strangely enough, because of a cracker called uh, Unita Biscuit. And Unita was one of the first ones to actually offer packaged crackers that had a longer shelf life. And this gave rise, along with Campbell's Soup and some other products, Kraft cheeses, to modern-day grocery stores where you found products on shelves. And it changed the whole nature of shopping from going in, usually a housewife, going in asking a clerk, usually a male clerk, for help in finding this item or that item, and he would put it in her basket, to actually doing the shopping for themselves. And so this was picked up um, by many of the uh, department stores, and um, the, the, the larger department stores that started to branch out in multiple cities, uh, Wanamaker's and, and others, and um, to attract customers, they, of course, would have the store window. This is a whole new uh, side story in itself that the guy who designed the store window, of all things, was uh, Frank Baum, who wrote The Wizard of Oz, so on and so forth. At any rate, uh, at Christmas time, they would decorate their windows huge in terms of a celebration of Christmas. Um, and, in fact, there were department stores in Dallas that people would line up down the street the night before, almost like you would for some sort of rock concert today, to see what the store window was going to look like when it was open. So part of the commercialization of Christmas came about simply because the nature of shopping itself changed between 1900 and 1940, changed a lot. How much did the, I mean, so much of the music, so much of uh, what we know about uh the, the perception of Santa all came from that time, right? From the department stores and uh, and and these in these uh, kind of very homey, the Norman Rockwell uh, paintings of Christmas, all of that. That was all the twenties and thirties before World War II, correct? Right, and we get the uh, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street movie, which in fact is about a Santa Claus, a guy who thinks he's Kris Kringle and insists he's Kris Kringle, and he's he's taken to court uh, as a as a fraud. And the way he finally proves uh, his case that he is Santa Claus is that he produces dozens and dozens of bags of mail addressed to Santa Claus. And it's endorsed by the U.S. Post Office because they delivered the mail. So Santa Claus must be real. And so the idea of a, a department store having a, a Santa Claus uh, became something of a tradition uh, well before that movie. What um, talk to me about uh, one of our favorite films uh, that when it came out, uh, I think it at the time it was Frank Capra's uh, biggest bomb, right? <laughs> this guy was a legendary director who came in on time and on budget and just did hit after hit after hit, um, all of which had kind of a uh, a, a uh, sociological, uh, you know, he was he was a message. He made message pictures, um, although he would deny that. But he came out with this film. Which I think is his. I think is probably one of his greatest. And it, yet, it came to the box office, and people didn't get it at the time. It, it kind of bombed. Well, um, the movie is a message movie. Um, you've got George Bailey. Now, think of this: George Bailey runs a bank. Okay, it's an SNL, but modern Americans can. So the hero is a banker. A banker? Oh no, they can't be heroes, right? And, and what's his issue? His issue is that some of the money's been stolen from the bank, and he doesn't know how to make good on it, not for himself, not because he wants to get rich, but because he feels like he, he's let down so many people in society. And and the, the way that the movie wraps up, he's going to go out and commit suicide. He jumps off a, a bridge but is rescued by his guardian angel who shows him what what life would be without him, and it's much worse. Uh, things literally go to hell in town. 
And so when he comes back, and modern Americans would never believe this, he comes back and he's bailed out by the townspeople who make donations to a bank to save the bank because it was such an important part of their lives and helped them out so much. I mean, modern people would have real trouble with donating to a bank. You got a big kid in me. That's <laughs> just done. And, you know, the, the famous line that uh, I think it's uh, every time a Democrat resigns from Congress, an angel gets its wings. Isn't it something like that in that? Yeah, no. So where's the, yeah, no. Um, what is it about the film, though? It came, they had a technical problem that it came off copyright. And stations in New York and then others started running it. And what, what, we, what you say in the film is ran the sprockets off it <laughs> nonstop because it was free. And, right. and then all of a sudden people started watching it. It's, the film is obviously It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, it became a what we call a cult classic. And now it's a standard uh, on TCM and others over the Christmas season. But, but what was it when people actually got to, to see it? that got them that when it came out in theaters, was it too close to World War II, so it was too depressing? Uh, there was already enough agony from World War II, and people just wanted to get on with their lives now? What was it, why did it go from originally a big flop to later a cult classic and now a standard part of the repertoire in, uh, during the Christmas season? Well, some of that may be just what you said, that it got out to much broader audiences you know exposure is everything in movies and you can you can point to any number of modern movies if they only open in 200 theaters i don't care how good the movie is it's very difficult for word of mouth to carry that to the five to ten thousand theaters that we may have or screens that we may have in america um but the movie itself has an incredible message of redemption i mean this guy's going to commit suicide and he has shown that every life is important, that all the stuff he thought was terrible and meaningless, in fact, he played a key role in every person's life that he interacted with. And, uh, you know, the suicide aspect may have been what hit people initially. They didn't want to see any kind of death after uh, World War II, after the Great Depression. But then, you know, not too long after that, they were willing to entertain that for the larger message of there's always hope. And life is worth living. And and you, that's what you think, because when he comes back, uh, when he's saved from suicide, he comes back. What's happened to the town, which is just this wonderful, almost Norman Rockwell type town, right? When he comes back, I mean, it's some of the darkest filmmaking. There, there's about 20 minutes of that film, 30 minutes of that film that makes you actually very uncomfortable watching it because of just the dark. And this is a PG-13 Film, but the way Capra, such a genius, he and Jimmy Stewart, so powerful. But you're unnerved about what's happened to the town, and previous characters who you saw as like good people or good people in the town have been totally changed, almost like demonic. Yeah, well, and again, this is one of these movies you said you wouldn't allow in your home. But the ref is a a sort of modernized, a little bit different version of this. But you you get these really bickering. I mean, literally, the movie starts in counseling on Christmas Eve, where this guy is putting up with uh, Kevin Spacey and his wife going back and forth and calling each other names and so forth. How can this marriage ever be resolved? And you later find out the kid is some sort of uh, derelict. And But eventually, through being held hostage by this kind of irascible Dennis Leary character— the whole family kind of comes together and the whole family begins to find redemption. And that is the Christmas story, uh, the story of somebody who brings redemption to the whole human race. No, so having never seen The Rough, I was really talking about Chevy Chase's, Chevy Chase's Christmas Vacation. And I should okay. tell you, there's a lot of people in the extended Bannon family that love that film and play it every year. Of course, I, I excuse myself. To go, to go and crave Larry, Larry, a great movie. Just put in the, the heck. Okay, uh, Larry, hang on. Larry, hang on. We're going to take a, a short break. we got a very special thing on the other side of this. Um, the music here, and I want to thank the production, particularly Real America's Voice. It's not easy to do these specials over the, uh, over the Christmas season, the holiday weekend, whether it's Memorial Day, whether it's Fourth of July, our Labor Day specials, uh, Christmas, the combat history of Christmas, Always very proud about all of that. I want to thank the Real America's Voice team, Patrick K. O'Donnell, everybody that makes the Christmas uh, the Christmas Day special. 
And we do that because we want to make sure everybody understands that there have been patriots in this country that um, it hasn't always been uh, it hasn't always been easy. It hasn't always been uh, uh, the Christmas season with everything it represents hasn't been uh, you know hasn't been that easy for a lot of patriots. Okay, short commercial. We're going to go some great music. Short commercial break. Back with Larry Swike in a moment. Veterans, you know, we have been all over this supply chain issue with China and medications and the uh, active pharmaceutical ingredients. China has a stranglehold on us where there's a way to break that. Jace Medical. I got an emergency medication kit from them. The FDA just declared a global shortage of medication and warned that critical antibiotics are in extreme short supply across the United States. But you know that. Because you're a viewer or listener of the show. Now, here's the action you can take to correct. Do yourself and your family a favor and get your Jace case right now. It's a pack of five prescription antibiotics you'll have on hand for common emergencies. Just visit jacemedical.com. That's Jace, J-A-S-E, jacemedical.com. Take a few minutes and fill out the form. Your information will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medication will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. You'll be glad you have the Jace case. Go to Jace Medical. That's one word, J-A-S-E, medical.com, and enter code Bannon at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code Bannon at Jace, J-A-S-E, medical.com. You know what the problem is because you've watched the show. You can break, you can take action and break that problem by going to Jace Medical and get your Jace case today. Action, action, action. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Just like the ones I used to know Where the treetops glisten And children listen To hear sleigh bells in the snow With every Christmas card I write May your days be merry and bright And may all your Christmases 
be wild. One of the toughest opens of any war film, uh, and that is a magnificent movie. If you have not had a chance to watch it, uh, I can guarantee you it's a classic, right? White Christmas. Right there you see uh, Danny Kaye, Dean Jagger, and, uh, of course, Bing Crosby. Dean Jagger, as everyone knows, it's watch it, and you should watch it if you're part of the War Room Posse. 12 O'Clock High is really, in fact, uh, he was nominated, I think, and won Best Supporting Actor from 12 O'Clock High. Gregory Peck, he had done for a few years earlier. Those are all done with the living memory of World War II and everybody's mind. Uh, Larry, very powerful in that song. It, it kind of comes out of nowhere in Holiday Inn, but here it's central to the... It's central to the story. You start the story off at the Battle of the Bulge and the firing of a general, and you, you end. I don't want to give away the ending, but just magnificent, magnificent ending. Larry, uh, your closing thoughts on the traditions of Christmas, both the old and the, and the new, uh, and then I want to make sure everybody gets to your, to your writings uh, and to, to all your books and, uh, and all of it. Well, we almost forgot one of the most important. I don't know how we can leave this out, and that's a Charlie Brown Christmas. Because this cartoon version of the uh, Peanuts comic strip, originally Charles Schultz, uh, they were going to have him cut the incredible scene where Linus actually drops his blanket for the only time he's ever seen without a blanket when he starts to do the nativity story from, I think it's it's Luke. And um, uh, Schultz said, you're not going to show that show without that scene. And so he stood up for it. And that remains, that's very important. It's one of the few places where you get the full nativity story um, in modern media, modern Christmas media, all the way down to the present. So um, it, that we shouldn't forget that one. Amazing, amazing story by, uh, by the creator of Peanuts. Uh, how do people get to you, uh, Larry, all your writings, both the political and the historical? You can get to me at thewildworldofhistory.com for history stuff or the Wild World of Politics where I do a today's news show every day, five days a week, a little commentary on the news. And um, we try to keep the two separate. So if you're into the political side of me, go to politics. If you're into history, go to the Wild World of History. And, of course, Patriots History is now – we just crossed 60,000 sales in this edition alone, which is pretty amazing. And this edition is what? This is the fortieth reprinting or something? Forty. We're in our forty-first reprinting, our um, fifth edition, and uh, next year I will be putting up free on my website a chapter that will take us from twenty eighteen to twenty twenty three, and we'll call it the twentieth anniversary edition. Wow, the years of Trump. Larry, thank you very much. Uh, you're, uh, Larry's one of the smartest guys I know in politics, polling, all of it, demographics, a, uh, a renaissance man. Thank you very much for being with us here on uh, Christmas, our Christmas Eve special. Thank you, Steve. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, there'll be a replay of this uh, tomorrow on Real America's Voice. I think it may even be later this afternoon also. I want to thank everybody. Thank our entire crew. Um, Grace and Mo and the entire team, Jane Zirkel, Natalie, everybody, have a Merry Christmas. Um, we're going to do one of my favorite shows of the year on Monday on Christmas Day and to show you the cost of, uh, of patriotism and love of country. We'll take you from um, the Battle of the Bulge. We'll go to uh, Korea and the Chosin Reservoir. We'll go back to the, the uh, what you just saw there with Bing Crosby at Bastogne uh, with the 101st Airborne, of course, We'll do Christmas night with Washington and the troops crossing the Delaware and surprising the Hessians outside of Trenton. Uh, this year, with Patrick K. O'Donnell, we've got a, also a new, we're going to go through the Civil War of a Christmas raid on Salem, Virginia, a railroad uh, hub uh, that became quite important in the Civil War. I want to thank everybody. We're going to leave you some great Christmas music. We'll be back here on Monday, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, Combat History Christmas. We'll see you then in the war. Merry Christmas.
Folks, let me tell you about Solti. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67%. And do it again. WARROOM HEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there, do it today, check it out.